0: Well, I do want to recognize moms in the room. If you are a mother, uh, would you please stand? We want to celebrate you. Just stand and let's just stay standing for a moment, if you would. Moms and grandmas, and we know there are women who have special nurturing relationships with nieces and nephews. And just stand, moms of all kinds, just remain standing for a moment. I want to pray over you. I want to pray over you. So uh, let's pray for these moms. Father, I ask your blessing on these ladies, those in the room, those who are joining us online. May this be a special day for them. I know for some, uh, Mother's Day this year could be tough because they may have lost a mom in the last year. We pray for those folks who have joined us. We think of folks who have struggled to have a child and desperately want one. We pray your blessing on their lives and meet them in that uh, that ache of their hearts. We know there are moms and grandmas who have some fractured relationships and a child or grandchild won't speak to them. We pray you'd bring healing into that. We don't know all the stories of the moms in the room, but there are stories. There's some great things, there's some challenging things, and I pray your blessing on these women today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. We're so glad that you're with us on this Mother's Day. The men who serve as elders and I have invited a dear friend of mine, Elizabeth Mitchell, to share her story a story that uh, I, I know is a story that is a tough one that Bill and Elizabeth Mitchell have walked through. Elizabeth and I uh, serve on the Iwana Club's board together, and uh, she is my friend. And uh, when I heard her story, I read the story of uh, her journey as a mom. Uh, this, this book is called Journey for the Heart, when life's unfair, how to find hope when life's unfair. This, um, this really spoke to me, and I, I thought as soon as we can, we're gonna get an opportunity to share Elizabeth and her story with the Calvary family. And uh, she is a pastor's wife, her husband, Bill. Bill, would you stand? He'll be one of the tallest people in the lobby after the service. Uh, Her husband, Bill, serves as a senior pastor at Boca Raton Community Church in Boca Raton, Florida, and they've gone through a journey together in their family that you'll hear about. Um, I want to just encourage you to to get a hold of one of these books. It's not available on Amazon. There's no Kindle version yet. There's no Audible yet. Uh, They're working on those things, but you can get a hold of one of these in the lobby. If you forgot your credit card or you can't afford one of these, speak to one of our pastors. I want to make sure anyone who would like one can get one. When you read this, you'll be encouraged by her story, and you'll be challenged about how to walk with God in the toughest moments of life. You'll hear about that in just a moment. I am the one who asked her to bring a lot of books because I believe this book blessed and encouraged me and will bless and encourage you. Uh, but you're gonna get a chance to hear a little bit of that story as Elizabeth comes and shares her heart with us this morning, my friend Elizabeth Mitchell. Elizabeth Mitchell.
1: It is indeed quite an honor for my husband, Bill, and me to be here with you in this beautiful city of Westlake Village. And in this church, I I know you all realize you have something very special here. And all the staff that we've met, and of course, Pastor Sean, these are exceptional men and women that I know are a blessing to you. I, I wish the mothers in this room a happy Mother's Day as well, and those of you with a mother's heart who care and nurture for children all over the place. God bless and encourage each one of you. I believe Mother's Day is a great time to remind each of us that God uses less people in less-than-perfect circumstances to do His work. He uses people dealing with less-than-perfect circumstances to pull off his plans and his purposes here on earth. I grew up as a little girl in a very large and loving Lebanese family on the island of Jamaica. And it was through stories that I heard that my faith was uh, enriched, my faith first got going because I recognized through the stories I heard that God was real, that he was involved in our life, and that he takes situations that we don't know what to do with and brings great good out of them. My aunt Adette suffered a horrific divorce in the 1940s in that tight-knit Lebanese community, and she was ostracized for it. She had no source of income. She had to raise four little children all on her own. And through all that difficulty, she ran straight into the arms of Jesus Christ, discovered that he was enough. He was her Savior. He became her Lord. And she lived that out before the rest of her family. And it was her mission and her passion for her whole family to come to Jesus Christ as well. We knew about God. We didn't know him intimately like she did. She invited us to church and Bible studies. And more than anything else, she lived him out before us. And one by one, my aunts and uncles, my cousins, my parents, my four siblings, we all came to love Jesus too. Because of the example of my aunt, because she had discovered in a very difficult place that God was enough, that he gives grace and mercy and strength and compassion no matter where we find ourselves. In the scripture, on our way to Israel, we studied about Mary Magdalene. We learned her story from Matthew 27 and and John 20, Luke 8, Mark 15 and 16. We discovered this Jewish woman had a front row seat, front row seat to the gospel unfolding in real time. She was there at the cross, at the burial, and at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mary was a part of a band of women that traveled with the disciples and with Jesus all across Galilee as they were ministering, and then she and the other women followed them to Jerusalem. Mary was there when Jesus would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? and the sin transfer of the world occurred. Mary was sitting across from the tomb in that garden when Joseph of Arimathea placed Jesus' body in that borrowed tomb. And you know the story. Mary enters the garden early on Sunday morning. It is still dark. She comes in and discovers that the stone has been rolled away. She runs and gets Peter and John. They race back to the garden. They look in. They don't know what's going on, and they leave. They go back into hiding. They are afraid for their lives. But Mary is committed. She's loyal. She's dedicated. She is fearless, and she stays. She has a conversation with two angels, as if it's an everyday occurrence. Not the least bit surprised. And then she confronts the man she thinks is the gardener. Logical that she would think that they were in a garden. And she says, let me know where the body of the Lord has been placed, I'll go and get it. Here she is a woman, and she's willing to go and carry the weight of a dead man's body back to safety. She would do anything in her power to protect the Lord and to help him. She helped him when he was alive and she would help him now in his death. Of course, you know the story. And Jesus said, Mary. And she responds, Rabboni. And falls at his feet. And he has a one-on-one conversation with this woman. The first one recorded in Scripture, and then he gives her the greatest commission, go and tell the disciples that I am risen, I've kept my promise. And she does just that. He knew he could trust her with that important task. How did Mary become this devoted, this generous? This committed, this loyal, this courageous. I believe it was because Jesus, the scripture tells us, rescued her from seven demons. She had far than perfect circumstances she had dealt with. And Jesus saved her and brought her from that darkness and that, those demons. And for the rest of her life, she never got over it. Her life had been imperfect. In the garden, she was weeping, but this woman was not weak. She was distraught, but she wasn't undone. God had crafted her and created her to be somebody really special, even though her circumstances were less than so. It's important, I believe, for all women and for men to recognize that their stories are valuable. Your story, and your story is valuable. The messy parts of your story, the hard parts, the difficult parts, the parts where there's failure. All those stories are important for us to share, to demonstrate that God is enough even there that God is sufficient when i have no answers that God can carry us through the most difficult places and he has a plan and a purpose for each one of those i want to encourage you keep telling your story when any of us go on a trip i know bill and i get to travel with our worldly team all across the world We do leadership training in 40 different countries. And whenever we go, we can't take our five children, our four grandchildren with us. So we bring them back souvenirs. When we go to Israel, we bring stones from the dry riverbed and Valley of Elah where David conquered Goliath. And we give those little stones to our children, our nieces and nephews. And we say, I know you're little. I know you don't realize yet what God has in store for you, but if you will allow the power of the living God to take control of your life. Like David, there's just about nothing you can't do. When we go to India and Nepal, we bring back beautiful pashminas. When we go to Lebanon, we bring back those zata and suma spices. All of them. When we go to Kenya and Zambia, we bring back wooden figurines of giraffes and zebras to show that we love our family, to let them know what we tasted, what we experienced, what we felt, what we saw. Here's a little bit I want to share with you of the journey I went on. In just that way, when God sends each of us on our own journeys, He wants us to bring back to other people what we saw, what we felt, what we experienced about life and about Him and share that with other people, to encourage them, to help them get to know Jesus that much more intimately. Sometimes he hands us packages we would rather never have to deal with. My nephew Jacob was so eager to open a Christmas package and he begged my brother relentlessly and finally my brother said, okay, so Jacob jumped under the Christmas tree, found the most beautiful package with his name on it, tore off the wrapping paper, and looked at my brother and said, this is exactly what I always never wanted. <laughs> True story. When I heard that, I said, that boy is on to something. We might not put it in those words. But in so many ways, we say to God, what you have asked me to do is exactly what I always never wanted to experience. Our family had to do that too. Our fourth child, James, was born with transposition of the great vessels. That means his two main arteries were switched. So the blood, without any oxygen in it, was being routed to his body, and the blood that contained oxygen just kept looping back to his lungs. He had three other deformities as well. He was airlifted. My husband went with him. At three days old, I I joined him on a commercial jet. At three days old, he had his first six-hour open-heart surgery. They told us, we've repaired his plumbing, but in the process, we've damaged all his electrical circuits. At 10 days old, they gave him a pacemaker. And then every six months after that, every couple weeks, there was always a procedure or a test or something he had to endure. When he was four, they said, we need to do another open-heart surgery. It won't be complicated. We'll go through his side so as not to disturb his scar tissue. We'll give him a new mitral valve made out of Teflon. It'll, It'll be a piece of cake. Of course it wasn't. He ended up on a left ventricle assist device. He had a stroke. He looked like he had stepped on a landmine. God got us through all of that and so much more that I don't have time to tell you. And then when he was almost five, His left ventricle, that is the powerhouse of all our hearts that should be doing this. In James, it was barely doing that. And they said, now your only option is a heart transplant. I remember clearly I wanted to throw myself on the ground and have a temper tantrum. I wanted to tell God, it's not fair. You, You can't ask us to do this now after everything else that we've endured. But he gave us grace for that, too, and acceptance. And we were airlifted to Gainesville, and James received a heart five days after we got to that new hospital. I want to read you just a tiny bit of the story of when we got back home. Every few weeks after the transplant, we returned to Gainesville for those dreaded biopsies. And we never tired of hearing a zero report He experienced the smallest possible levels of rejection. James's new heart was performing like a perfect match. On March 23rd, I woke to the reality of celebrating his fifth birthday. Our son was alive. In his mercy and graciousness, God had given James a brand new life. In the afternoon, I dialed Donna, the donor mom. This is Elizabeth Mitchell. I'm James's mom. How's he doing? The gentle voice responded. He's doing really well. His heart is really doing well. The doctors are thrilled and we're getting great results. He's hardly had any rejection at all. I'm so glad to hear that. Donna's voice held sadness in every word. I need to thank you, I continued. I must let you know how much our family is so grateful for what you did. You did such an incredibly difficult thing. I wish there could have been some other way. Donna's voice trailed off. Just some other way. I swallowed hard and swallowed again. Donna, I wish too that there could have been some other way. We exchanged addresses, and I sent her pictures of James, and we kept in touch. And I longed to meet this courageous woman in person. And finally, at the beginning of the May, we, beginning of May, we connected, and picked a date, and I wrote it on my calendar and realized that that Sunday, when Donna would be coming to our house, would be Mother's Day. Mother's Day, when her heart would be empty, the Carides rang the doorbell and stepped timidly into our home. Strangers intricately intertwined into our lives. We hugged and introduced the other children to each other. She was warm, easy to talk with, and very loving. And when we played games in the family room, James ended up on her team. She had been on his since January 20th. After we had dessert, Bill corralled all the kids and headed to the basketball hoop. And the silence gave the two of us permission to share other details and for me to ask how they were coping with the grief. And we stood after a long while, and we were not strangers anymore. The children filtered back into the house slowly. James walked into the kitchen, and I put him on the kitchen counter. Without contemplating the thought for too long, I said, Donna, would you like to listen to his heart? And she nodded and bent her head towards his chest and pressed her ear against it. And she lingered there for quite a while, and no one spoke. And all the children stood in a hushed silence around us as if they too knew that we were all standing on holy ground. James sat perfectly still, and time stopped. That's a part of our story. From those very places, the Lord gives us treasures to bring back to show other people what we've experienced, what we've known, what we've learned about him. I believe he gives us, maybe more than anything else, the gift of grace. Grace is God supplying everything that we could possibly need to make it through, all the challenging pieces, moments, and events. Psalm 20 was such a gift to me Psalm 20, I believe, is a picture of God's grace. I want to read it for you. It will be on the screen. Read along with me. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots. And some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall. We rise and stand upright. O oh Lord, save the King. May he answer us when we call. Psalm 20 is a gift of grace. Psalm 20 in the very first line reminds us and all the way through that God is the source. He's the one doing all the action in the psalm. We're the ones receiving it. He tells us in the day of trouble, he is going to respond to us. He doesn't wait for a notice or for somebody to tap him on the shoulder, to tell him that we're in trouble. He knows when in the day, at the moment, You are in trouble. And he wants to remind us that you are not the first one. I am not the first one to be in trouble. All through Scripture, Jehoshaphat and Hannah and Abigail and Ruth and David and countless others, they all were in trouble and he was their God and carried them through it. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. It's a very personal psalm. It's as if he's writing it and handing it just to you and just to you. Because he says, I'm going to answer you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to send you help. Wherever you see that pronoun, you put your name right in there. He gives you support. He remembers your offerings. He grants you your heart's desire, fulfills all your plans, and all your petitions. He is the source. We are the recipient. Grace is an awareness that the Lord answers us, that he's fully present. And he doesn't just answer us. He answers us with himself. He is the answer, not anything he could possibly give us. I know you know the story in Exodus 13 where the children of Israel are in the wilderness because of their rebellion. And God sends a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And I always loved that story. It just seemed like such a kind thing that God would do for his children to protect them from the heat of the desert and then protect them from the coolness at night when the temperatures fall and from the wild animals that would come at night and the fire would keep those away. It wasn't until recently that I realized he didn't just send them a gift. He was the gift. And Exodus 13 says he was in the pillar of cloud and he was in the pillar of fire. Our Father sends us, gives us his presence. Him, he is the gift to us. We discover not just grace when we're on that journey. We discover the gift of strength. 2 Corinthians 12:9. it's on lots of calendars and lots of plaques and Hobby Lobby and screensavers, but they leave off usually those five little words. But he said to me, that's the God of the universe speaking directly to me and saying, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. He is saying it to me. My paraphrase is, remember, my power is at its very best when you are at your very weakest. I get strength from trusting him. There really is nobody else to hold on to, no matter how good they are. He is the one. Psalm 91 teaches us, Because he or she holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him. Because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Strength from waiting on him. The way Ruth discovered she could wait on him. The way Joseph knew he could wait on him to work. And then he gives us the gift of worship. He gives us the gift of grace, the gift of strength, and then he gives us the gift of worship. And worship is at its best in the dark. You know, God doesn't need our worship. He says to us, I want you to worship me because he knows we need it. He gives us worship as an incredible gift. Really, it's a spiritual weapon, a strong, powerful weapon against the enemy. And Psalm 34, verse 1, one of my favorite verses in Scripture says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That means I need to be saying it out loud, in my mouth, at all times. Is sad times and tough times and frightful times and uncertain times. In those times, he's calling us to worship him. When I have nothing to bring him, that's what I do. I bring him that. I bring him that ache and that emptiness and that disappointment and that hard place. I bring that to him and I worship him right where I find myself. It was hardly surprising how much our family ached over the loss of our giant, enormous, black olive tree that took up almost half of our front yard. A lightning bolt in a thunderstorm had hit that tree and severed all life from it. At first, we thought, oh, it's just doing its regular nuisance and filling our lawn with leaves. And then every single leaf fell off. And our tree looked like a horror movie prop as its uh, naked branches reached to the sky and a moon could be silhouetted between them. This was a tree that was like a welcoming committee. When we pulled up in front of this home, when we were trying to find a home for our five children and ourselves, it was almost spread its arms and said, "Come on in. come on in, make yourself at home. And we did. It was this tree when our son and our family returned from the heart transplant, and all our neighbors lined the road with bunches of shiny red balloons to welcome James home. A bunch of those shiny red balloons got stuck in the top of the tree. And so for weeks afterwards, as we left the house to go for checkups and biopsies and blood work and all that's involved in monitoring a transplant patient, we saw those balloons at the top of our favorite tree. As James recovered, his uncle climbed way up, found the sturdiest branch, bolted two metal chains and, and put a swing there. And so James and his brothers and sisters and their cousins and the neighbors all hung out beneath the shade of that beautiful tree. In August 17th, on that dreadful day, I was pulling out of the driveway in the passenger seat of an ambulance. James was sequestered in the back with two paramedics working on him. And I turned to wave at our six-year-old daughter, Anna, who was sitting on that swing under that tree. My sister was standing beside her. James would never come back home, and we would never be the same. Somehow, when God gives us treasures, we foolishly presume that they are ours forever. That's never the case. Each season comes framed with his unique and undeserved treasures for us to relish and and enjoy. Excuse me. He orchestrates earth-shattering events, ordinary trees, and darling little boys to give us life and joy and remind us of his goodness in spite of the lightning bolts that come to splinter all of our lives. Even now, we still draw strength from the faithfulness and the graciousness of our God. He sustains and empowers us to endure and overcome in seasons of plenty and seasons of want. My prayer for each of you and for myself as well is that we will continue to share our stories, the hard parts, the challenging parts, that we will continue to experience the grace and the strength and the beauty of worship exactly where we are, that we will take souvenirs from wherever he sends us and bring them back, to bless and encourage and strengthen those he brings into our life. Allow me to pray for each of you. Loving Father, how grateful we are for the men and women in this room and their love for you, for the families and the homes that each of them represent. And I ask that you would bless them in more ways than they could possibly imagine. That you would continue to strengthen their faith and remind them of your grace and of your power and of your love for them. And that you would use them and their stories to transform this whole region for the cause of the gospel. And Father, if there's any in our midst who have never discovered how much you love them, who've never intersected your story with theirs, would you awaken in their heart a desire to know you? And would you help the men and women in their lives to share the gospel story with them? Thank you, Father, for all the ways that you bless us. And thank you for this beautiful day that is a gift from you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.